Hi, this is Chris Castle, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Hypebot, how TikTok royalties are calculated. From the Wall Street Journal, why Apple, Amazon, and Spotify are embracing high-def music, a guide to lossless streaming. Also from Hypebot, 340-plus promising TuneCore artists have been upstreamed to Believe. From Music Business Worldwide, lots of Spotify news this week, including indie labels loathe Spotify's discovery mode, but DIY giants are loving it. And also from Hypebot again, YouTube is about to change its terms of service, and musicians will not be happy. Hmm, we've got these and many, many more fascinating tidbits of information on this new music business on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your Morning Coffee is on the air. On the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, top of the morning and happy 4th of July, Jay. We are recording happy here on the 4th. July. Yeah, good to see you. And it's, good to see uh, you. A mellow day in Southern California. It's a three-day weekend for many folks, and uh, maybe even four for some. That's right. <laughs> you know how it is I'm in the music business. Who. People started bugging out like on Wednesday. That's right. You know, my email started slowing way down. Slowing way Thursday. down. Well, and it's yeah. it's summertime, but of course, in the old days, summertime was was kind of the slow time. But mm-hmm. it's an always-on music business now. No, no, nobody. Amen. Yeah, which is kind of cool. So. Yep. Uh, by the way, if you don't know him, him, the man I'm talking to, he is Jay Gilbert. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which is weekly music news for the new music business. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. He's a scratch golfer, and his part-time gig is working <laughs> on his particle physics doctorate. So good I, to see you, I Jay. am. Yeah, I, I wish I had time for golf. Uh, and, and this gentleman right here is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And he's a left-handed guitarist. That's <laughs> yeah. true. The great handicap, for crying out loud. Uh, and Jay, we must talk about the wonderful friends that bring us to the party every week. 
Yeah, we, we want to thank, uh, first off, HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business, um, the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform, Bands in Town. Yes, Bands in Town. Over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists themselves access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks. Bands in Town. Hype bot. Yes, sir. Couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you so much. Guys and gals, I should say. Yes. So you you had mentioned last week, you know, that, um, well, last couple of weeks, uh, 1971, the mm-hmm. year that music changed everything, uh, documentary. It's on uh, Apple TV+. Plus. I finally got through all episodes. All eight. All eight. Holy cow. Um, I will probably watch it again at some point because yeah. it's so dense. There's so much great music and you forget that all of that happened in one year. The politics, the it was almost like a 1968 sort of year. There was so much change going on. And really near the end of it, uh, someone mentions, well, you know, that's that's uh, the end of the 60s now. Like we're, yeah, it's a whole new world when they were talking about David it's Bowie. David Bowie, David Bowie, yeah. He said, oh, oh my gosh. gosh, we killed the 60s. You know, yes, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, it's super so well good. Done. Super well yeah. done. And the one that I'm now queuing up, I haven't started yet, is The Summer of Soul, which just came out this weekend. I think it's at theaters, and it's also on Hulu. And it's about a, a, a concert that happened in 1969, um, all um, black artists, and it, it happened in Harlem. And it's, uh, it's Questlove actually produced it. Um, yeah. And it was the, 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 the film footage itself had been lost for some time. And by all accounts, it is fantastic. Is it a miniseries? Is it's, it a I, one I think, I think documentary? It's a, I think it's a one documentary. One yeah, it's a one-off yeah. documentary. Yeah. Um, and just killer oh. reviews on it. So I'm going to start that over the weekend. Or Let me know. Weekend. Yeah. Let me will. know how that goes. I know, uh, I know you will. The other documentary that, uh, we watched this last week, of course, was Kistery, you know, which was oh, on A&E. Yeah. It was two nights, two hours each. Um, and if you get a chance, if you're a Kiss fan, you should listen to Three Sides of the Coin. Uh, Michael Brandvold, um, and Tommy Summers, Mark Cicchini. Great podcast yeah. where they talk about all things Kiss. Well, they did a deep dive this week in it, which is really cool. But I don't know if you saw in the papers, but um, Paul Stanley took to Twitter to apologize for something he said about Bob Ezrin. Really? Uh, I did not see yeah. that. Yeah. Um, on Friday, he, he went to Twitter to write, and I'm quoting here, words hurt. In our documentary, I spoke of my dear friend Bob Ezrin as a functioning addict while we made Destroyer. The impact of that word was lost on me. Although not intended, the hurt and stigma attached is far-reaching. That statement was inaccurate, not true, and I misspoke. I thought it landed really hard when when they were talking about recording Destroyer. And if if you don't know Bob Ezrin, what an amazing producer. He He did three records for Kiss. He did Destroyer, which was arguably their their best album mm-hmm. and really broke them wide open after Alive. Yep. They did, uh, he produced uh, The Elder, 
which um, has been greatly panned by critics and fans alike, although I think it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then they did one of my favorites, which is Revenge. Yeah, so you stuck with Kiss longer than I did. I I, I kind of <laughs> I kind of t tapped out after Destroyer. <laughs> tapped out. <laughs> but it was in, you know it's one of those intense love love fests because yeah we, yeah if if you were if you were a musician at the age that we were when those Kiss albums came out especially Alive and I got into Alive before it kind of blew up yeah and um you know it it, it was just it was it was a, a an intense affair at the time with yeah. kiss and then well it was a different time then um yeah. we didn't see artists and move until we saw them in concert yeah. there was no mtv that's right um you know we would see them in cream circus hit parader rolling stone whatever we'd see the photos in magazines but you know, I went to see my first concert was Cheap Trick opening for Kiss, August 13th, 1977. Mm -hmm. And Cheap Trick came out and I, it was like an assault on my senses. It was like, wow, you know, th these guys are insane. And then, of course, Kiss comes out and you're scarred for life. You think, yeah. well, that's how concerts are. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I stayed up to watch uh, either Don Kirshner's rock concert or Midnight Special. And they had it was I mean it was billed as Kiss being on, but it, what it was was actually just some film footage of a couple of songs from one of their concerts, uh, and, and that was the first time I ever saw because I saw the pictures on the Alive album, you know, which is great. They had a lot of cool pictures of them live, but you didn't again you didn't see what it looked like truly, what it looked like, and it was yeah. like you said, it was just like okay that that you know it fills in a bunch of blanks for you, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a different era when when that when that. Well, now just, you know what they had for breakfast. Exactly, you know, it's, it's like the day after or the, or the the minute after you hear about them, and you know you go and and I and I do that all the time, as I'm sure you do too. You, you see, hear something, a song you like, and you look at it, go, oh, that's a new band. I don't know them. You you go online, you look at, it, oh, they're from Manchester, and blah, 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 and suddenly you know everything about them in five minutes, yeah. and it does take away some of the mystery. Uh, that we didn't even know existed when we were that age in that era. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't, you, you, it made you work much harder to learn about artists. Oh yeah. Yeah. You had to, far fewer artists. You had to want it. Yeah, I was talking to one really, um, successful artist manager recently who I, well, will not name names, but he hates the fact that his, a couple of his artists basically tweet everything they do. Yeah. I had a cup of tea. I did this. I did that. And he's like, there's no scarcity there. Yeah. And he thinks that it really spoils um, that relationship when you just tweet everything that happens to you every day. Yeah, the, the, you want a little mystery when you're when you're developing artists. You want some mystery, and yeah, yeah that, that's I'm with him on that a hundred percent. It's yeah. I think I think you can burn out your fans by yeah. giving away too much. Well, he also said, and and I agree with this, that websites. Um, today are different than they were a few years ago. A website, he wants you to get off of that website as soon as possible. You know, whether you're going to, you know, a, a website should show some basic information like, is the artist touring? Is there new music out? Mm -hmm. What do they look like? You know, maybe contact, you know, for a, you know, TV booker or tour or whatever. Um, but you want people off of that website to go watch your videos, stream your music, buy a ticket, merch, whatever. And what's happened is now, if you and I hear about one of these artists in the news, we can just Google it and that article, that tour announced, everything's right there. We don't need to go to the website. I mean, a website can't compete with Google 
Plus, the other thing is, is that a lot of artist managers want to control the message mm-hmm. and and labels too, and you sure. just can't do that anymore. Um, no. no, it's hard. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, you go on socials, you go on the news, you're going to find, uh, you know, all that dirty laundry. That's right. <laughs> dirty laundry. All right. Well, let's jump into it, Jay. A little bit of TikTok news. And boy, it's something you might care about if you're an artist. How are TikTok royalties calculated? Very interesting. This is from Hypebot. Uh, it's, and it's a guest post from Horace Music. Um and and did you know this? I I did not. I never really thought about how it was calculated. Uh, I had, I had heard say. I had heard something about this, but this kind of you know brought it all. You know, there, well, let's back up just a little bit. There's there's like two or three really good articles on TikTok that uh, are in your morning coffee mm-hmm. um, this week, and so we're going to touch on all three. And this first one is as Mike mentioned. You know, TikTok. You know, they they operate. You know, calculating royalties a little different than say, you know, a streaming service like Spotify. Indeed. Um, you know, those calculations are based on the number of videos made using your music as opposed to the number of times it's watched. Right. Right, 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 right. So they say that um uh it can become a little confusing <laughs> because no we're not used to that. Uh it says so they're based on market share rather than metric views to calculate the market shares. TikTok use what is called a creation. A creation is when a user selects a release from the Horace Music Catalog from TikTok's library to make a video. You can then make your own creations inspired by existing creations, all amounting to new creations. So to put this simply, every <laughs> time a user... Almost too late now. To, uh, to put this simply, every time a user decides to use your music to make a video, that generates a royalty. Yeah. So when you see your view numbers racking up, it's important to remember what's generating your royalties is other users selecting your music for their video, not the 200,000 views you may have. Yeah. You know so, what it sounds like? It sounds like a sync license. It, it, you know, very much so. Very you know, much when so. When you get a sync license, let's say that you know I'm making a film and I want to have... You know, Malia doing Smells Like Teen Spirit, I, I have to, you know, get uh, permission for that. And there's no statutory rate. It's negotiated. So I'll say, you know, it's worth this much and I'll offer this much and they mm-hmm. can accept it or or not. And it sounds like it's very similar with um, TikTok. And the other thing, one of the announcements the, this week that I thought was really interesting is that TikTok is expanding their video length uh, from 60 seconds to three minutes. Uh, yeah, I saw that. And yeah. I think that's a, a lot to do with the competition. People saw that, you know, a lot of people are using TikTok. So then, you know, all the socials started doing their version of TikTok. Uh, mm-hmm. YouTube started doing its version of TikTok. And so now they're trying to stay ahead of this a little bit. It says that, you know, previously TikTok videos could be up to 60 seconds in length after initially expanding from 15 second clips. You know, the 60 second video format has been copied by, you know, Snapchat, Snapchat Spotlight, YouTube Shorts. Um, Before the expansion to three minutes, many creators worked around these limitations by encouraging viewers to like and follow them for part two, part three, part four, and doing a video series. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah. It's it's fascinating. But I mean, your sync license thing is is spot on. And you know, when you when you do a sync license, you don't get paid differently when depending on how many people watch that television show or that movie. That's right. So so and I, I yeah, it makes total sense. Um, but I hadn't thought about it. I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't thought about that. Um, so here it is, and now you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the people um, <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, how these things are calculated, there was a comment, um, and it said it's from, well, Creator Fund, and then it says, what about the Creator Fund, right? And so I kind of followed down that rabbit hole, because I remember TikTok announcing this Creator Fund, and you have to register for it, mm -hmm. Um and here are kind of the guidelines of who um, who's uh, able to use the, the uh, fund. It says users have to be of legal age. They have to be 18. They have to have 100,000 followers. Um, they also must have accrued uh, 100,000 video views in the last 30 days. That's a nice barrier to entry right there. Yeah. Um, you also have to be based only in these countries, U.S., U.K., France, Germany, Spain, or Italy, and you have to follow their guidelines. Um, but some users have complained that when they signed up for this creator fund that it reduced some of their views. And the person writing this article did a little research and found it was kind of 50-50. Like yeah. half the people saw an increase and half saw you know some decrease. So just wanted to throw that out there, the creator fund you know, is a, is another option. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So now we know, now you know how you're going to get paid when you're, when your music is on TikTok. So right. the next one, this is a biggie. This is in the wall street journal actually. And the headline is, <clears throat> excuse me, why Apple, Amazon, and Spotify are embracing high def music. And it's a guide to lossless streaming. I will tell you my first thought. By the okay. Way. So again, let's go back to the title. <laughs> why Apple, Amazon, and Spotify are embracing high def music. It doesn't say why Universal, Warner's, and Sony are embracing high def music. Mm -hmm. And that I find um, and have found over the years a little frustrating that the major labels are still really not pushing this like they should be. And I, it's just... It's uh, very frustrating. I'll put well, it as Henry Droz used to say, it's not about the money. Sure. It's about the money. Right. You know, and I wonder, it, it, it isn't free to convert this audio uh, to high def, uh, mastered for iTunes, you know, lossless, all of this. Or, there, an, there is or a, an Atmos mix. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. And, and you, you're always my go-to guy when it comes to, like, Dolby Atmos. You know, um, you and I went to the studio, you know, with Greg Penny and got to listen to some of those amazing mixes. But there's a and, – and you can explain this much better than I can. There is the right way to do it, and then there's the cheap way to do it. Yeah, it's true. And, um, you know, I think what the labels try to do is they try to, to go on the cheap, basically – and the reality is to to get in this case an Atmos mix, it takes time. It's not there's not a box. You don't run something through something and and it's it not out, automated. Out, no, it's not automated. Out pops a, an Atmos mix. It takes somebody with ears and experience to go in there and make these decisions because you have so many options. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think you know the the labels they're, they're they're trying to commoditize it. They're trying to think of a cheap way of doing it, a process. And it doesn't work that way. And it never has and it never will to do it right. But if you want yeah. these things to succeed, 
you've got to do it right and you've got to spend some money. And all of these labels are sitting on, for the most part, piles of cash and they should be stepping up and they should be encouraging their artists to talk about it. They should be, they should be, you know, and it's all this stuff requires a marketing strategy on how to roll this out to consumers. And we haven't seen that on the label side. We're seeing it on the, on the distributor side. Um, but we're not seeing it by the folks that could, that need this the most. Yeah, but we are we are making some progress because and and let's put Dolby Atmos aside for a second, but just higher quality audio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been Cobuzz, which is amazing, you know, title, um, Apple, but it wasn't until like Amazon really started embracing it that you know it started to heat up. Yeah, and now you know people are complaining that this could have been something that we could use as an industry to make a little bit more revenue. But the bottom line is the quality is improving and people are using it as a marketing tool. But the part that is challenging for me is, and this article goes into it, which is so good is, you know, like what equipment do you use um, to take advantage of all these different uh, technologies? But the bottom line is if you're using Bluetooth Um, there are some challenges there that this article goes into where you're not going to be able to get the, the sort of quality, um, that you're promised, but also when you're driving in a noisy car or, you know, uh, you've got earbuds in you're some of these technologies, you're not going to get the, the quality that you are looking for. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously the thing that digital music brings is the immense portability, and so whether you're at the gym or in your car or wherever, you've got your entire, the, I mean, you know, essentially the entire library of music on planet right. Earth you know, in right. your pocket. Um, but some of those scenarios are not, you know, really great for, for listening to quality music, to listen to high res music. And that's what's true. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, you know, when you want that sort of quality listening experience it kind of needs to be done at home with the right gear and that's what's nice about this article is they lay it out really you know how do you get there how do you get to a point where you can appreciate and listen and hear the differences and it's almost like there's different you know listening well there are different listening experiences and I don't know about you but I I kind of do that I I sometimes I want something whether it's at the gym or just you know wherever I'm at waiting in line at Trader Joe's I want to just listen to something while well, it's yeah. the, the the quality in that in that scenario is not crucial. But then there are other times when I really want to go come home and listen on good speakers and listen to something mm-hmm. and and really you know give my, devote my full attention to that. Yeah, and that's different. That's a different. It's nice to experience. have both. You know, it because is. if I listen to the Ramones, I could listen to that on an AM radio and I'll sure. be perfectly happy. But if I'm listening to Steely Dan or Toto or something. I want to hear that. Yeah. And, and this one, uh, Emily Lazar, um, who they interview in her Grammy award-winning engineer, Foo Fighters, high She's a mastering Rolling engineer. Stones. Yeah, mastering yeah, engineer. Mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, she, it says when, when she plays a, those songs off a typical streaming service, what she hears is anything but what the artist intended. Yeah. Imagine, she said, going to the Louvre and uh, seeing the Mona Lisa only to find out it's a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of yes. the painting shrunken down to a postage stamp size and then photocopied again. She's describing, in effect, what happens when the gargantuan, detail-rich music file she works with gets shrunken down or compressed for streaming. 
And we've seen this. And I know you've worked with really high quality audio. And a lot of times I remember calling you going like, what is lossless and what is CD quality and what does this bit rate mean as opposed to this? And you've kind of schooled me on that stuff, but they also talk in here a little bit about, you know, why those numbers matter and why sometimes they may not depending on what equipment you're using. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, also part of the problem too is sometimes, you know, depending on how far you're going back uh, in terms of age, um, you know, you, you, you may not have those masters in your vault if you're a, right. if you're a label. And so, again, it takes people all along the, the chain to understand what's being delivered, what is, you know, what you can do with that, with whatever you have in your vault. And, you know, some of the early digital files that were delivered to, to labels were not high-res files. So you can't, and, and there is a way to cheat and kind of upsample them, but that's cheating and that's not really getting you much. Um, so again, it depends what you've got in your vault, what you do with it, and how yeah. you get to where you want to be. And then, then it's also so confusing as they lay out in this article is what, well, you know, some people call it. There's a bunch of different names, right. For different, <laughs> yeah. and again, but this, and I, and I, again, I, I will call to task the major labels because this is part of something that they should have dealt with and and come up with a standard for what is and communicated that standard and marketed that standard. Um, yeah. And they've kind of dipped their toes in that, but nobody's really gotten it together. And yeah. I'm convinced the reason is when you, when you, if you were, you know, you and I worked in, in, in major labels and nine out of 10 people in major labels have no idea a, how records or, or songs are created in the studio, what, what assets are delivered and what you do with those assets and how do you get to this? Almost nobody yeah. in the, in the buildings know and so it's it's pretty stunning when you think about it. It's a miracle yeah. that any of this gets out because it's <laughs> it's such a yeah. Pain in the there's ass. HD and ultra HD and you know this this piece as you mentioned from the Wall Street Journal. It was written by Matthew Kronsberg, mm-hmm. and what he's he's a really good writer and he's a little sassy and I, I like that because yeah. uh, he got a little snarky. You know he he says here is a guide to the easiest ways to have as REM put it quote unquote, new adventures in hi-fi. And let's, let's run through a couple of these because I think they're really interesting. One is, this all sounds pretty complicated. Why should I care? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And he says, because your music should and can sound better than it does. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line here. And so number two is like, okay, so how does this all work? And he says that lossless means that the, the sound file that you're playing is the same as or better than the uncompressed one used for making CDs. This is not usually the case with streaming. So as you kind of go through this, he kind of slowly, you know, brings you into more of the technical aspect of it. You know, like, so, you know, can I use my AirPods, you know, and he talks to digital to analog converters and, mm-hmm. you know, how you can do that inexpensively and, you know, how Sonos, for example, just announced a partnership with Cobuzz. And if you haven't checked out Cobuzz, it's it's a really cool digital service provider with super high quality audio, you know, if that's your thing. It's not for everybody. Um, but, but what I always think of is that when you hear it, then you're sold. Yeah. But if you don't, you know, like if you don't go into a studio and hear what was actually recorded by the artist or you don't have a super high quality audio... And, and that's fine, you know, but 
man, you're scarred for life once you've been in the studio and heard this stuff. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And again, you know, there's some, later in the article, they talk about um, uh, Billie Eilish and her brother talking about, you know, how you, you, a certain song where you could, they did some stuff that was, you almost can't hear it on, on a streaming service. But the difference is when you do hear it in high res, suddenly it's, it's right there. And you, there, there's so many nuances. But like everything in, in Sonics, it also... Uh, you need to give it some time before you, it, it takes a while for your ears to adjust and then you start paying attention to sound. Yeah. And again, that, that's, that's something that as an industry we could market and educate listeners on, which we're doing a terrible job of that. But it's, this is a wonderful primer on kind of all the, all the buzzwords that you hear being bantered about, what they actually mean. Um, but the bottom yeah. line is now, and at least easily for the last... Hmm, 15 years, let's call it, you know, the artists are delivering stuff in a much higher resolution than is being utilized in all the streaming services. Um, so the, 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 the assets are there clearly with, with that are all high res and they can, they can roll them out if they choose to. And yeah, hopefully that is happening. And, uh, yeah. And, and not fast enough, though. <laughs> they need to simplify this, to your point. You know, as an industry, we need to have um, some standards that say, you know, HD is this, ultra HD or whatever you want to call it. Because um, they talk about numbers, and we don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but I know we can simplify some of this. You know, numbers like 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz can be confusing. Um, they're at least... Uh, unambiguous in the in the name of clarity and marketing apple and amazon have both put their own branded self-defined brackets around numbers like those apple's lossless tier goes from cd quality to 24-bit 48 kilohertz with quote-unquote high resolution lossless reserved um, for anything better amazon calls it cd quality streams hd with anything higher termed Ultra HD. Spotify's hi-fi tier will be CD quality lossless. Holy cow. Uh, yeah. Thank you for not explaining anything that well. Well, I always say, like, you know, if you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah. But, but more importantly, could you explain this to a non-technical person? Could you explain this, not to pick on my mom, but, uh, you know, could I explain this to my mom where she goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Not with these bit rates and no. kilohertz and... Um, her eyes would gloss over. It's got to be, right. this sounds good. Yeah. This sounds great. And this one is the very, very best. You got to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. And it's not. And as soon as you introduce numbers like that, it's very confusing. And, and of course, so much of this too is, is uh, you, you've got the kind of the resolution of the file, but also what they did to get that file. And, you know, there's a reason certain albums sound great. It's because they have mm -hmm. people working on them with good microphones and everything, and, it's, and the music lends itself to that. Like you, were, you talked about the Ramones, not to, not to dish on the, or not to slam the Ramones, but, but their music was fairly um, uh, one-dimensional. You know, it kind of had this, it, there wasn't a lot of nuance in, in yeah, the Ramones' music. Yeah, I think music. they would admit that, yeah, sure. exactly, exactly. By I design. love the Ramones, but it's... it's Me it's too. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like you said, whether you hear it in, in these high-resolution formats or kind of, it, you're not getting the, the nuances. There aren't nuances there to bring out. And so, and, and, and the, when, they, when that stuff went down on tape in the day, they were just hitting it hard. You know, it was, it was smashed onto that tape. 
but the other music lends itself far more to nuances and 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 things like that that you hear. So yeah. that's the other confusing thing out of all of us. All of this is that yes, you've got the quality of the file over here, but what they did in the studio well before that sure. is really so it's so there's not it's just really complex and there's not an elegant way of wrapping in a bow and saying this i don't think yeah so that is no, that you is know once i was on a panel at uh, at ces and it was about one of the topics was about sound quality mm-hmm. and we did some research prior to that and this is back when you and i worked together so this this is a while ago but people just didn't care um yeah. at that point um the, and that's part of the problem here is you need it to be part of uh, a marketing differentiation, like Amazon saying, I'm going to just offer this for free. Um, then it changes the game. If you have to pay extra for it today, yeah, you're only going to get those audio files who are going to do it. But if you can make it part of the overall package and kind of get people their vegetables, get them to eat their vegetables uh-huh. without them knowing it. Well, <laughs> that's and that's thing. and you kind of nailed it. It's it's a combination of marketing and education about about the differences and why you should care. And here's and sitting people down and ha- having them listen to it. And it's like the Atmos mixes. It's like you know, higher. It's like the Billie Eilish song where you, when you hit, hear it in a certain way, there there are it, it brings out things that you hadn't heard before. Yeah. And again, like you know, and, and our ears are trainable. And so once you kind of start listening for things. Then you recognize it, and it but mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that you just wake up all of a sudden and it hits you in the face like, oh, I love this. It it's, it's yeah. requires a little bit of patience. So It does, and then we won't need to go into all the equipment on here, but you, you really should check out this article in the Wall Street Journal. They go through all the different, um, you know, uh, equipment mm-hmm. um, that you can use to experience high-def music. But I can honestly say that with my setup right here, um, I really can't tell the difference much um, because a lot of the audio I listen to is just out of my laptop without right. uh, external speakers. Mm-hmm. I do have external speakers, but I, I move around a lot. So, or I'm listening on my phone um, yeah. with or without headphones. So I'm not getting that experience, but uh, well, yeah, and one I, of the I'm, things yeah. in the article that is probably, you know, if you, if you walk away with, with any sort of a uh, little tidbit of information, it's that, and he he talks about he talks about the wonderful Miles Davis album Kind of Blue and he says the last thing you want to do to Miles Davis's Kind of Blue is make it kind of bluetooth <laughs> the moment you send music so over good. bluetooth to a speaker or to a pair of earphones such as airpods you're back to degraded lossy as in, as opposed to lossless sound lossy so there is there they are working on uh, some new bluetooth codecs that are able to transmit lossless sound but currently they do not so as soon as you do something with bluetooth speakers you've taken out the possibility currently of of hearing high-res audio so that's a big thing by the way that's a huge thing and because how many people listen by the way and that's why i walk in with like when i go to the gym i take in corded headphones i I guarantee i'm the only guy in the gym with corded (laughs) headphones that's why because i want to listen to it in not over bluetooth because bluetooth kind of sucks yeah. Still, as we sit here in 2021, it's um, okay for voice if you're it's okay talking for voice. on a conference call, but it's certainly convenient. Yeah. 
but quality yeah. is not there. So yeah, you know, I use them, t- uh, you know, uh, to listen to podcasts when I'm out on my sure. mor- morning walk. Absolutely, you know, and they, it works really well. But you're right for music. No. Yeah. So great article in the Wall Street Journal yeah. again, and I have printed it out. Uh, and Matthew Kronzberg did a wonderful job. So certainly yep. worth uh, checking out without a doubt. Yep. Uh, how about this one? So I had I I'd kind of had already forgotten. This is in Hypebot, by the way, our, our next uh, thing we're going to talk about. And the, the name of the article is 340 plus promising TuneCore artists have been upstream to Believe. That's Believe with a capital B. Mm-hmm. And the this company. is, yeah, the, exactly. So this is, you know, and what, what, what uh, TuneCore has done, um, they have basically they identify what they call rising stars that are eligible to be signed by Believe and its in-house labels, Nuclear Blast, Naive, All Points, Groove Attack, and Pivotal Projects. Those are all label names. And so they've kind of enacted sort of a, uh, to use the baseball analogy, you know, kind of when you sign up for TuneCore, you're basically giving them a little bit of money and they're just distributing your, your music. But they have a chance, of course, to start monitoring your sales and they can identify things that are popping and that gives them an opportunity to perhaps kind of pull you into the family and sign you as an artist to a more structured typical label deal yeah and were you about to say farm club <laughs> <laughs> i was pinching myself to not say that but now okay. that you said it you have to say what it was well we at universal we had uh it was jimmy and ted wasn't it jimmy and ted's mm. farm club no, Jimmy and Doug's. Jimmy and Doug. Doug Jimmy, Morris. Doug Morris. Yeah. Jimmy Iovine. Farm Club. Um, I think that's where I met Amanda Marks. She was working there. She now works at Apple. But it was basically. I think they were working on a TV show. It was a TV it, show. It was actually yeah. way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. It was kind of a. <laughs> it, it wasn't like one of the competition shows, like you know, the the Voice or something like that. But it was. Yeah. It didn't last. But this is a similar thing. If you wanted to, God, that was a long time ago, too, Jay. That was like 18 years ago. I know, um, was wild, but they no. mentioned several different artists. Uh, an artist yeah. named Landy, uh, who started, he put his music up on TuneCore in 2017. Two years later, he got signed by Believe, and he, his album came out, uh, his first album came out in uh, March of 2019. Album went gold in two months. He's got a new album called A One. It was released back in December. Went gold in 10 weeks, on track to go platinum by this October. Uh, he's got 1.5 million Spotify monthly listeners, 576,000 yeah. YouTube subscribers, 270 million cumulative views on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. So I'm kind of surprised that that you know the orchard. Well, the orchard's different. Now. Well, the orchard's owned by Sony. Yes, right. Ingrooves is owned by Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ADA is owned by Warner Music Group. Um, but they're really more we call them major indies. Mm-hmm. And and I would have bet money that there's some farm clubbing going on there where some you know artist yeah. blows up and then gets some help. <clears throat> but these major indies are. They're not like a TuneCore, CD Baby, Distro Kid kind of thing. They are full on, you know, with all the muscle of a major distributor behind them. You know, it's interesting. The Believe CEO, I'm not even going to try his last name. Uh, (laughs) Good luck with that, Dennis. Sorry. Um, But he said something really interesting. He said, because of the symbiotic nature of our business, we are able to identify emerging talent early on through TuneCore and then further develop and support the artist's journey with Believe uh, Label and Artist Services. The acceleration of artist careers through our multifaceted solution speaks to the success of the program. I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm going to go with it. Dennis uh, Lottigieri. Lottigieri. That's, I think that's how you pronounce his well name. Well played, sir. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> we don't want to just say his first name. Um, yeah. And, and they say they're the only digital music company who has a system like this in place, where artists work with one transparent ecosystem and maintain their masters and creative control throughout. That's from Andrea Gleason, who's the co-head and chief revenue officer. Oh, sure. You get the name that's easy to pronounce. That's right. So uh, good idea (laughs) and good on them. You know, it's... It'll be interesting to see, you know, what artists come out of this. Yes. I love the idea. I do too. That, you know, you've got this DIY sort of situation, but there's got to be, and it's not just them, it's all these other companies as well that we mentioned some of those artists are absolutely amazing and they deserve to have a little bit of muscle put behind them in promotion and marketing. Well, and, and Andrea Gleason's last line, don't forget it says where artists work with one transparent ecosystem and maintain their masters and creative control throughout. So that's an interesting, I would have highlighted and underlined that if I were her, that, that, you know, maintain their masters, which is huge. It is. Oftentimes you're going to, you, if you if you sign with a major label, that may not be the case. Yep. So good article on on those folks over at TuneCore, and at, at least my you know I, I don't deal with a lot of the, the different distributors, but the the handful of times I've dealt with people at TuneCore, super great people, really nice, oh, yeah, yeah every, a very very you know a, a neat company from from my yeah family. I like those guys. We've had Kevin Bruner on uh, the Music Biz Weekly podcast, and I listen to their podcast. Um, what I love about, uh, about them is that they educate people and on, on how to do the different things that you need to do to market and, and sell your music. And that's what I love about a lot of these distributors. Symphonic is probably the best in the industry right now at Mm -hmm. just coaching, educating, by the way, um, Randall Foster, um, over business development guy, um, GM over at the, uh, symphonic Nashville office. Um, I talked to him a couple days ago and we're going to do a podcast on publishing where we walk uh, through all the different things that you need to know about publishing, because you'd be surprised how many people I talk to. I mean, these are music industry managers, label staffers, distribution, and especially artists they don't understand how publishing works. And what's interesting about that is, you know, when you and I were working at Universal, once in a while I would have lunch or something with my friends over at publishing, but I didn't know what they did. You know, I didn't, I didn't really learn what they did until I started getting more involved with artists and managers and you start figuring out, Oh, that's what a mechanical is. That's how that works. It's, it's simple yet it's nuanced. Well, we've talked about this, I think, in the past, is that especially because we, we were label guys, and th- even though we worked, we, we I worked for Warner's, I worked for Universal, I worked for Capital, where they all had publishing divisions, but they were not in the same building. <laughs> they were somewhere else, not where right. I was, they were somewhere else. Right. And I had very little, very infrequent uh, you know, interfaces with them. And so yeah. it is, it is sort of two different universes in the industry. And I think more, it, it's, it's becoming closer and closer than it was when we were there. Um, yeah. and of no course doubt. there's so much interest, you know, giving all these publishing catalogs that are, that are being purchased. Um, so there's the, yeah, but, but it's, it's totally just, it was two separate businesses in our day and still to a certain extent. And, and there's a yeah. lot of nuances in publishing to, uh, yeah. 
to keep under your head. So, which is why yeah. you got to get the uh, the uh, everything you need to know about the music business. Uh, that's yeah. you know, books like that are having yeah. those references are super key because yeah, it's a as they used to say, it's a business of pennies. But and it's a very old business. The publishing business has been around far longer than the, mm-hmm. than the recorded music industry. So anyway, all right, yeah. moving on. Uh, this had a music business worldwide. Uh, Murray Stassen or Stassen, I'm not sure how he pronounces that name. Uh, wrote this. Uh, we've talked a lot about Spotify's discovery mode. So mm-hmm. the the title of this is Indie Labels Loathe Spotify's Discovery Mode, but DIY Giants are loving it. I will ask you because you work with lots of different levels of artists. Do you uh, discovery mode? Do you do you love it? Do you hate it? Or are you somewhere in the middle? I I love it. Okay. I think that um, people are inaccurately pointing a finger at it, calling it um, playola. Mm-hmm. You know where you're paying for. Uh, here's the thing: there's so much music being released. Mm-hmm. You know, closing in on seventy thousand tracks a day. Mm-hmm. There, there are over seventy-five million tracks on digital service providers today. If you're a developing artist, how do you rise above that clutter? You know, there are all sorts of tactics that you use to reach and grow your audience, like competitive audience. You know, but on streaming, it's really challenging. Um, there are services that are good to help you get on some user curated playlists. There are some that will use bots and spin farms and get you into trouble. It's a really tricky path. And I know I'm in the minority. Um, a lot of my friends are totally against discovery mode because they see it as being, um, that you're paying for placement, but you're, the way I see it is number one, you're not really like you're not paying up front you're just um you're allowing a discounted rate uh that uh, you get paid mm-hmm. from spotify so you don't have to have upfront money which i actually appreciate for new and developing artists and it according to spotify that can help you in their algorithm to be you know your music being fed to people who uh would like it um, so I think it, it can be uh, a really good tool. Um, the folks, you know, at TuneCore that we just mentioned, you know, Andrea Gleason and Dennis, who I'm not even going to try to, you know, pronounce his name, they're for it. You know, yeah. some of these folks are actually for it. And if you go on to um, Spotify's uh, website, they say that, you know, discovery mode is a marketing tool and it helps you get your music heard when the audiences are most open to discovery Artists and labels identify songs that are a priority for them, and our system will add that signal to the algorithms that determine personalized listening sessions, right? So it only works if fans love it, too. When a listener isn't engaging with the song, we take that as a sign that it's not resonating and pull back on recommending it to similar listening or listeners. It's all about harmony. Um, but there is a probe. I mean, there is an investigation going on here to see if... You know, if this should be allowed, right? They did mention here that you know we, when you, lots of people kind of back and forth. But then the, here's, here's a very specific thing. It says so the company believes said in December it turned on discovery mode for 33 tracks by an artist named Perez, who had more than 600,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. It then it, it, it then ran a campaign for a period of three months. Of those 33 tracks, 14 performed exceedingly well. Said Spotify with Perez growing. Oh, it's a she, uh, her daily Spotify listening base in the U.S. and Mexico by 57%. That's pretty good. That's 
you know, but then yeah. again, that artist started with 600,000 monthly listeners already. So I don't know, is it possible that it, you have to be at a certain level for it to really make it a difference? So maybe if you're, if you have 10 listeners, it's not worth the effort, perhaps. I don't I, know. I don't know. It's interesting that, well, number one, you need to know that this is still in beta. This is just being tested. Mm -hmm. It, oh, it hasn't right. been rolled out yeah. uh, to everyone. And, you know, the House Judiciary Committee um, is looking into it. Um, the, it was uh, Chairman Hank Johnson, a uh, Democrat from Georgia. He's raised concerns uh, June 2nd in a letter to Spotify and uh, its CEO, Daniel Eck. He thinks that, you know, the discovery mode may lead to less money for artists. I quote, this may set in motion a race to the bottom in which artists and labels feel compelled to accept lawyer lower royalties, it's easy for you to say, as a necessary way to break through an extremely crowded and competitive music environment. I don't know. I, I, I understand why people are um, looking at it this way. Um, I don't. I, I think that there, there should be opportunities, especially for DIY indie artists, to compete with the big boys. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, if you're one of the majors, you've got a seat at the table. In some cases, you own a piece of some of these digital service providers like Spotify. You have priorities that you communicate to their label and artist relations teams every week. It's a different game um, when you're a DIY indie artist. And we need all the tools we can get. Yeah. All right. We will what continue. do you think? I mean, did you does, uh, do you I, have I, any strong opinion either way? Did it smack of uh, playola to you, or did it see just? It well, did. I mean, I bet, yeah. I bet I was a little. I'm a sensitive to that, obviously. Um, but I think now, as I'm sitting, like you said, though, it's <clears throat> still in beta mode, so it's kind of. I don't want to get too uppity about it, um, <laughs> but it does seem like you do need to have a certain level of success for it to really kick in and make a difference for you. So, so, and I don't know what that level of success is, but, you know, which is why it seems like so many of these sort of, I mean, the, the article said that they're, um, they're DIY giants, but, you know, it, whatever that level is, it's, it's not going to work for, you know, the kid down the street who's, who's got music up on Spotify. It is going to work on somebody who's on their fourth release, perhaps, and is a touring artist that has already a built-in following. So that, yeah. that as I sit back, that's yeah. what it seems like so far, which is, yeah. which is probably you know, who it's meant for. Yeah, I would only add that this is the uh, U.S. version of an investigation that you and I have been talking about, you know, the U.K. parliamentary probe. Mm -hmm. It was a, what do they call it, DCMS. It's Parliament's uh, Digital Culture, Media, and Sport Committee. Yeah. You know, that's been going on. We're waiting for the findings of that. So they're looking into it in a deep way in the U.K., and now we're starting to look into streaming and, and more specifically, this discovery mode here in the United States. So it's going to be interesting as these conclude um, what the findings are. Yeah. When did they say those findings were going to be out? I thought they would be out by now. I don't recall seeing a date that they would. I am going said. to Google that because I have it highlighted here because um, uh, let me see if it has a date here. Uh, but it's I think it's soon. I mean, they I were, they were still soon. doing some. Yeah. I remember yeah. thinking it was going to be summer, sometime in the summer. But you know, we're midsummer now, and, it, and nothing, nothing out of those 
folks. Yeah, well, we will stay on top of it. And when when they do release those findings uh, for our uh, listeners, uh, we promise we will we will bring those to you. There you go. Well, and our last thing also from HypeBot is guest post by our friend Bobby Osinski. Uh, little, uh, your friends over at YouTube are changing their terms of service. Uh, and the article is, and musicians will not be happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, before we jump into what they're not yeah. going to be happy about, let's give a quick shout out to Bobby Osinski. If, if mm-hmm. you don't follow his music 3.0, uh, website, blog, podcast. It's one of the best in, in the business. He he focuses a lot on recording and engineering and producing and, you know, that side of it. But he also gets into, you know, the business side and he's written um, a really great uh, series of books. You should really uh, Google him and check out what what he's up to because when, when Bobby writes about something, I usually pay attention um, because it comes from a very... Um, pragmatic and educated viewpoint and it's unique in his his website in that the way he does cover that he's got the 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 music creation side and the business side yeah not many people do not many people do that no so it's a it's a wonderful resource and he's a super knowledgeable guy very talented Um, and you know the thing in general about terms of service i just got one from one of my credit card companies and there is no more eye-watering and glazing thing to the human to human sight than when you get these terms of service changes because it's just all this gobbledygook. It's written in legalese a lot of times. you scroll and scroll and scroll and Uh, scroll. You're just like, okay, I accept, and you just move on. Not even looking at it. You've been beaten into submission. That's exactly. (laughs) So apparently if you have a YouTube channel, you probably received a recent email from YouTube stating a change in their terms of service agreement. I got it. Uh, yeah. So you got it. There you go. So yeah. two major things that you need to know that were in this eye glazing, you know, terms of service. You take that back. Uh, one is YouTube's right to monetize. YouTube has the right to monetize all content on the platform and ads may appear on videos from channels not in the YouTube partner program. That's new. That's new. It used to new. be that you were either, you had advertising applied to it. Yes. Um, or you did not. And now basically what they're saying is we have the right to just monetize. That's right. You put could, ads. You, yeah. You could say you didn't want the ads put in. It, 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 up until now. <laughs> and so that's one thing. That's big. That's huge, you know? And and then the other thing is royalty payments and tax withholding. For creators entitled to revenue payments, such as payments, such payments will be treated as royalties from a U.S. tax perspective, and Google will withhold taxes where required by law. Now, I, this particular one, well... Yeah, it was kind of like it just means that you're going to get a little bit less money. Um, You know, what Bobby points out is that if you're an artist who would rather not have ads, you know, on your music videos, you know, the first point will seem especially harsh. Until now, you could just opt out of any ad, you know, have no ads would be inserted uh, on your selected videos as a result. No more. YouTube now has the right to insert ads into your videos, whether you want them or not. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought that was just stunning. And then, of course, the second point that you just mentioned, you know, he says that it adds salt to the wound. You know, let's say that you decide that 
you might as well make some money from the ads since they're going to appear anyway. Then you have enough time to qualify for YouTube's partner program that allows you to monetize them. Google, which owns YouTube, will now withhold taxes from the royalties that you earn, even though you might not be making much already uh, from the platform's meager payout. Now you'll be making even less. And that is the core of all of this is there's been uh, a lot of heat uh, about YouTube being you know, the number one audio streaming service, mm -hmm. not Spotify or Apple Music. It's YouTube by a mile. And the complaint is that there are low payouts. And, of course, yeah. uh, Lior Cohen has been brought on board, and he's been communicating to the music business that actually we've been paying out billions of dollars. But then some argue, well, that's at scale. Of course you paid out billions, but you're paying less uh, than anybody else for this. And now with this, you're paying even less. Right. And although I, I think to, to, you know, it's rare that I want to, you know, um, kind of come to the, to the aid of Google or mention something, but I, I'm guessing that this is like sort of a tax law thing. At least it says it from, from a U.S. tax perspective, Google mm -hmm. will withhold taxes where required by law. So maybe in other territories they're not going to do it, but my guess is that they're getting pressure to... Because they're based here, maybe. Yeah, that's... I'm I mean, guessing. but why now? Like, why hasn't this I come up know. before? Yeah. Right. Um, so maybe I shouldn't have come to the aid of Google then. Maybe I yeah, should Again, it's not about the money, Mike. There you go. It's only about the money. So no. on that note, we need to wrap up this edition, Jay. Episode number 47. We are marching towards our first year anniversary. Yeah, can you show. believe that? I know it. It's been so fun. And we kind of have the... Uh, we we have our, our our technology down now. It took us a while to get to <laughs> it took a place. Took me a while. I've got this big high ceiling room, and it was kind of echoey in the early episodes. And you came over and helped me dial things in. But like with a lot of things in life, the simplest solution is best. SM fifty eight. Case for a point. microphone, yeah, if you, if you don't know much about microphones, an SM fifty eight has been around for probably forty years, forty five years, and it's. It's every they're, they're ninety nine bucks. They're on every stage on the planet, and they'll outlast you. They're like cockroaches. They will just be <laughs> here forever. And we ended up all these fancy USB mics. Nah, Tried a bunch of them. Not worth. Back it. to the Sure SM fifty eight. That's right. So we learned that, and we learned mm -hmm. the early days. We tried to do these things over over Zoom and over other Zencaster, things. Zencaster, and all and sorts of different things. Now we just record our voices on our systems at home and put them together. So we've learned, we've learned, but uh, we sure appreciate everyone taking the time every week to listen into the show. So we, we yep. can't thank you all enough. And of course our friends at Hypebot and Bands in Town and yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a labor of love and we, we appreciate hearing from everyone and we do hear from lots of people all the time, which is super yeah. gratifying. So yep. On that note, Jay, let us go out and enjoy this Sunday, July 4th. And everyone have a, hopefully everyone, when you, this goes out on Monday, you will be taking a day off uh, uh, wherever you may be, a three-day weekend. So yeah. thanks for listening in. For Jay and myself, we appreciate it. This has been the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. We will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.